Well, if you remember the last time I preached, I started with a story about a bunch of different laws. So we're going to continue in that same vein, and I'm going to tell you another story, this time about a gang of thieves. Now, these thieves decided to break into a high-end jewelry store on a dark, stormy night. But they had a different kind of mission. They didn't steal one single item. Instead, they went through the store and swapped every single price tag in the entire store. The next day, the staff came in, and these thieves were such good professionals at their job that they couldn't even tell that anyone had been there. So then the customers start coming in and buying all this jewelry. They're spending tens of thousands of dollars on jewelry that is literally junk, and then they're spending only a dollar or two on jewelry that's worth tens of thousands of dollars. You see, the thieves had swapped the values of all these different pieces of jewelry. In the same way, someone has swapped the price tags on our planet or our universe. We're continually bombarded with different sets of values that differ from those of the kingdom of God. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about two opposing kingdoms that we have the option of being a part of here today. Now, we're going back to our series on Luke, so we'll be reading from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. It says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled, troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich! for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. Now the sermon that we just read was, is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, sermon on the Mount found in Matthew. In fact, many scholars debate if they are the same sermon or if it's just Jesus teaching a similar topic on two separate occasions. While the Beatitudes can be found in both sermons, the passage in Matthew chapter 9 has or the passage in Matthew has 9 Beatitudes, whereas the one we just read in Luke only has 4. Matthew dedicates 3 chapters to the sermon, whereas Luke dedicates just 1. The Matthew passage said the sermon was given on a mountain, where Luke said the, past, the sermon was given on a level place, or a plateau. More than likely, it would be lower down the mountain, where there's a flat spot. 
There are several differences in both passages, but at the same time, there are several things that they also have in common. We don't know for sure if they are the same sermon, but they both convey an important message that we'll be digging into this morning. My first point is that there are two kingdoms, and we are a part of one. So how many of you have heard the saying, either in grade school or college, that if a teacher or a professor repeats something more than once, it's probably something important that you should make note of? Yeah, It's a pretty popular saying. Well, let me tell you, that's true in all aspects of life, even if you've long graduated from college or spent a long time since you've been in a class. If you hear something being report, repeated, it's probably being repeated for a reason and something you should remember. While in the Gospel of Luke, the word kingdom is used or referenced 39 times, so it's probably something we should take note of. Now, definition of kingdom is kingdoms are where there's a specific ruler who exerts their authority and establishes a culture that is governed by rules that reflect the values of the ruler and in turn affect the quality of life of those living in the kingdom. Each kingdom in our world or in our history is different based on the quality of its ruler. You can see this throughout the Old Testament. Good, godly kings resulted in prosperous, content kingdoms where everything seemed to be going well. Whereas evil kings resulted in a kingdom full of turmoil, discontentment, and usually ended up in destruction. In Scripture, we can see two kingdoms that are at work on earth and still are to this day. One is referred to as the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of light, kingdom of Christ, and the eternal kingdom. The other is simply referred to as the kingdom of the air, ruled by the prince of this world. Jesus often referred to it simply as this world. In John 12, 31, he said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. We know that the prince of this world is, in fact, Satan, who exercises his role by establishing a worldly kingdom that opposes the kingdom of God. Now we know that the kingdom of God exists anywhere where his authority is recognized, his values are established, and his will is obeyed. You remember, Jesus taught his disciples to pray for the kingdom of God to come and for his will to be done as it is in heaven. This is what he was talking about. God's kingdom is governed by values and practices that differ greatly from those of the earthly kingdom. Living in the kingdom of God gives us access to special blessings that are not found in this world. But in order to have access to these blessings, we have to live by the commands that God gives to those who live for him and in his kingdom. And in today's passage, that's what we're going to be looking at. Some of these commands literally made no sense for the world at this time. Many of you have heard this passage before, and I think the more we hear it, the more we tend to take it for granted. But let's not lose focus on what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is huge and completely flipped everything around that people thought, the, what people thought was true, he completely flipped it around. This wasn't just a casual sermon this, that he was giving, but it was a life-changing and for some, an upsetting sermon. 
So when looking at today's passage, it's easy to focus on the sermon itself. I mean, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. We focus on the Beatitudes. But I want to focus first on verses 17 through 19, which says, Who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him, because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now, in these verses, we can see that many people did come to hear Jesus. They wanted to hear what he was teaching. But many people also came with the sole intention of being healed, simply by touching him or being healed by the power coming from him. You see, there are people that cared more about the blessings or benefits they could take from God without being committed to him or giving their lives over to him. For these people, Jesus was more of a celebrity that was also able to perform miracles, rather than the Lord that they should be dedicating their lives to. And this still happens here today. Even though we might be going to God for different reasons, it's the same thing. We might neglect growing closer to God for we might neglect growing closer to God or spending time with Him until we find ourselves in a crisis or we find ourselves in need of His help. While God does still hear us in these times, he desires for us to fall on our knees and give him everything, regardless of the circumstances in our life. Another important thing to take note of is who Jesus is preaching to. In addition to this large crowd, he's also preaching to his disciples, who have recently joined him on his mission. Now, Even though they are his disciples, they're still very young in their faith. There's still many things that they had to unlearn in their lives before they could then relearn what it meant to live a life for Christ. In addition to this, the disciples have given up everything so that they could follow Jesus, and more than likely were a little curious about what was in store for them. In a sermon that he was about to deliver, Jesus is going to explain to the crowd, and especially his disciples, that the truly blessed life comes not from getting or doing, but from being. In other words, developing God-like character. No matter where you are as a believer, whether it be a newborn believer or you've been a believer your entire life, we all have to remember the same lesson the disciples learned. We are all called to develop God-like character. We need to live out being a follower of Christ rather than focusing on what we can get from God or by doing good deeds, for we know that that is not enough. We must also remember that this isn't an easy or overnight process, but one that is continuous. Even if you've been a believer your entire life, you can still develop more God-like character. You can still allow the Holy Spirit to continue and transform your life. We should never be content with where we are spiritually, but instead always strive to achieve more spiritual growth. It's not always easy, but I guarantee you it will always be worth it. My second point is that in a world of trials and difficulties, we are blessed. So now that we've gone over the sermon, let's unpack it a little bit. When you look at it, you can see that it's split into two sections. You have four blessings followed by four woes, which we'll get to in a minute. So the four blessings found in verse 20 through 22 is where we're going to be focusing on for this point. The first blessing is, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Now, as I said before, this sermon is kind of flipping things over on their head. This doesn't really sound right. We don't normally think of being poor as being blessed. And it wasn't any different for the people who were hearing this passage when Jesus gave it. Jesus was proclaiming a new order in which the poorest of poor can be a part of the kingdom of God. And that regardless of the depth of poverty you were in, you were still able to experience and know God's favor and blessings. This doesn't mean that if you're rich, you can't be blessed, but it also is a reminder and goes along with what Jesus taught in a different circumstance about it being difficult for a rich person, rich person to enter the kingdom of God due to their riches becoming something they care about more and rely on more than they do God. You see, during the time this was written, and I think we even see this today, rich people tended to tend to be known as prideful or even arrogant due to their wealth, whereas those who were poor tended to be more humble. In the same way, we have to humble ourselves before Christ in order to be a part of his kingdom. It's also important to note that Jesus said, for yours is the kingdom. He did not say yours will be, he said is, meaning that they were able to be a part of the kingdom of God right then and there. I mentioned before that the disciples had to unlearn the way they had been living their lives in order to learn how to live a life in Christ. This required them to humble themselves. In the same way, we need to humble ourselves. Instead of looking at our economic wealth, we need to look at what we value, who we value, where do we find our security, and how much do we let pride control our lives. When we look at these things, we can get rid of them and become poor or humble in order to replace them with things of God, who we should value above anything or anyone else. So if the first blessing seemed to be the opposite of what made sense, the second blessing is even more so. It says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Again, it doesn't logically make sense. But whether it was physical hunger or spiritual hunger, God promises to bless those who are hungry with a fullness that will leave them completely satisfied. In the kingdom of the world, the focus is on immediate satisfaction here and now, whereas the kingdom of God promises that you will be satisfied. We have an earthly desire to pursue whatever will satisfy us now, again, bringing us back to the present rather than focusing on the future. We can only find full satisfaction and, and avoid, disappointment, avoid disappointment in the kingdom of God. If we try to find it in things of this world, it will be an endless cycle of us finding ourselves disappointed even more and more hungry than we were before. Now, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy things of this world. God wants us to enjoy his creation. That's why he created it. What I'm saying is that we can't turn to those things and expect to be fulfilled. For that can only be done through Christ. Instead of hungering for things of this world and things around us, we need to hunger for Christ and grow in our relationship with him. He is the only one that can do this, and one day... Those who are part of his kingdom will be with him and will no longer hunger for anything. The third blessing is, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I don't think there's too many people in this room or in this world who like to go through painful experiences or experiences that bring sorrow into their lives. 
but we do live in a broken world. And the fact is we are going to have experiences like this where we will all experience pain and suffering. And in times like this, we have two options. We can do what those who are part of this kingdom of this world do and try to find comfort in things of this world. But we must know that this kind of earthly comfort will only be temporary and will leave us again feeling more pain than we did before. Or instead, we can do the second thing that is a part of the kingdom of God and knowing that as a part of this kingdom, that all the pain and sorrow in the world and our lives will be completely wiped away and forgiven in the joys of the next world. Our sorrow will be turned to laughter through the joys that we experience in eternity with Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that if you're experiencing sorrow or suffering now that you just have to deal with it. In our present, God provides comfort for us and joy in our lives through the Holy Spirit. He cares about his children and will not abandon them. He will give them comfort in this world and will one day call them to be with him where they will never experience pain or sorrow again. And in Luke 6:22, we can see the fourth and final blessing. It says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because the Son of Man. Now, does anyone here like to experience hatred? What about to be excluded, insulted, or rejected? I don't think any of us do, and I don't think any of the people who heard Jesus preaching did either. It's normal for us to not want to be singled out or separated from other people. But this also makes it especially tempting for us to want to hide our beliefs from those who don't hold them so that we will not be targeted. But Jesus is saying a special blessing will come for those who are willing to endure this hardship in this world because of him. We might not experience the same kind of persecution that the audience who heard Jesus preaching this message would, or that his disciples later on would. But day by day, we live in a world that is becoming harder and harder to openly live our life for Christ without experiencing pushback from the world we live in. Jesus is calling us to fight against this temptation. Yes, it might be easier to keep our faith to ourselves and not share it, but that's not what Christ wants. He's calling us to boldly share our faith with everyone and to boldly live our lives for him, not caring what the results might be. People who don't know us well should be able to see that we are followers of Christ simply by watching our actions, without us even saying a word. Yes, this can be hard, and yes, we may face pushback, and someday we might even face persecution, but this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Our time on earth will pass in the blink of an eye, but our time with Christ will last forever. Should we be more concerned about our time on earth, or should we be more concerned about where we'll spend our time in eternity? Jesus finishes preaching about the four blessings by saying, Rejoice in the day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. The section of scripture began with Jesus talking about blessing and it ends with him speaking of reward. A blessing is a gift that is given out of the goodness of a benefactor, in this case God, and is not worthy of the recipient, us. 
A reward is recognition for accomplishment and completion based on meeting the standards set by the rewarder. So in this case, blessings would be in the present, whereas reward would be in the future, after our life on this earth. Blessings can be experienced by both the just and unjust, where the reward is for the faithful followers of Christ upon their completion of their earthly journey. Now, between Jesus proclaiming blessing and his promise of reward, there's a lot of difficult stuff that comes along with living in this broken world, such as hunger, sorrow, or persecution, just to name a few. As believers, there will be times when we experience the results of this world's brokenness, but we will also receive the blessings that come from the kingdom of God. And this is where we should find our strength. As well as knowing that our future holds the promise of our great reward in heaven. The place where we will experience the fullness of the kingdom of God with no residue of the fallen world we currently live in. We are able to persevere in this broken world because of the blessings of God. One day though we will be taken from this world and brought to the eternal kingdom of God where we can experience everything that he's prepared for us following our time on this earth. My final point this morning is that we need to live our life with an eternal mindset. So immediately following the four blessings, Jesus gives the four woes, which we can read in verses 24 through 26, which says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So first off, what does the word woe even mean? It's not really a word I use in my day-to-day conversations. I don't know about you. So for me, I had to go look it up. According to Webster's Dictionary, woe means a condition of deep suffering from misfortune, affliction, or grief. So when Jesus is using this word, it's not a threat for people he's referring to, but more so an expression of regret. Essentially, it is an opposite of what he said in the previous four blessings. And you can see that when you look through them. So the four woes all have a common truth in each one of them. And that is, you can take what you want from life, but you will have to pay for it. If you want immediate wealth, fullness, laughter, and popularity, you can get it, but there's a price you'll have to pay. Jesus isn't saying these things are wrong, but he is saying that being satisfied with them would lead to judgment. A man by the name of H.H. Farmer wrote, To Jesus, the terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing wrong things is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment, but that you are not. Not that you do not achieve what you want, but that you do. So when people, whether it be the people Jesus was speaking to or people here today, become satisfied with the lesser things of life, being satisfied with the good things instead of the best, then their successes will only become failures. They become spiritually bankrupt without even realizing it. Life is built on character. Character is built upon decisions. Decisions are built on values, and values must be accepted by faith. We can see this in Moses and how he lived his life. 
Moses made life-changing decisions that based on the values that other people made life-changing decisions based on values that the rest of the world thought were foolish. But God honored his faith, and he will honor ours as well. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich to this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. As Christ followers, we are able to enjoy all that God gives us, because we live with eternity's values in view. The bottom line this morning is that as a part of the kingdom of God, we need to live boldly for Christ, knowing that our reward will be eternal. The first application point I have for you this morning is that we have to choose which kingdom we will be a part of. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. We cannot serve both. There will be times when it might be easier or more convenient to hide our faith and live as citizens of this world. But by doing this, we are turning our back on God as well as his kingdom. When we try to be a part of both kingdoms, we become lukewarm Christians. I'm going to read the well-known passage from Revelation 3, 15 through 16 that talks about lukewarm Christians. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either, either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. As believers, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we should proudly and boldly proclaim that through our voices, through our actions, and through how we live our lives. My final application point is to remember, as a part of God's kingdom, we are blessed. Even though we are citizens of God's kingdom, we are going to be exposed to difficult things, trials, and suffering that are a result of the world around us. It's easy to get discouraged in these times and to lose hope, but don't, because God is there for you. He is watching over you. He's providing for you. He's taking care of you. Remember that you are a son or daughter of the king, that you are a son or daughter of God and that he is going to bless your time on earth, and that you will one day be rewarded eternally for the way you serve and follow him during your time here. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your words in Luke. I thank you for this message that your son delivered so long ago. I just ask that you would help us to learn the same lessons from it that the disciples were learning, that you would help us to choose which kingdom we are going to follow, God, that it would be your kingdom, that you would help us to boldly proclaim that in everything we do and say. In your name I pray, amen.